Tragedy happens all around us. Seems like every week, if not every day, there is a tragedy we see in the news as in, in our, our overconnected uh, society. We hear and see of all the tragedy going on around us, particularly that which is rooted in evil. How do we talk about that with children? How do we deal with it ourselves? You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for underwriting Faith and Family here on Worldwide KFUO. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin in the sponsor section at kfuo.org. Joining me by phone this morning, Pastor Philip Hoppe of Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson and St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota, and also co-founder of livingplanted.com. Pastor Hoppe, welcome back to Faith and Family. Hey, glad to be back with you today. Always nice to have some time to talk with you about uh, a number of topics, particularly always topics that help us uh, live as Lutheran families, as Christian families, uh, to and, and as parents to be faithful to our vocations, particularly that duty to raise our children in the one true faith. And uh, you and your your uh, your co-founder of Living Planted have produced some fine resources for us, and uh, very grateful for LivingPlanted.com and the resources you provided there. All around us. There are tragedies going on. It seems like every day, every week, uh, there is something going on in the world, particularly related to evil or crime. Uh, Most recently, a shooting in Texas, uh, in a church in Texas, uh, the... Other big news of the uh, the shooting in Las Vegas and other uh, crimes and and uh, events like that that are, are tragic that happen around the world. Some right here in our own part of the country, our own little world, and and some on the other side of the globe. But we're always aware of them. We're seeing them on the news and on social media. But how do we deal with them? How do we have conversations with our children about them? Uh, I have a lot of questions, and so we'll we'll sort through those today. But uh, you've addressed those with uh, with on living planted with some resources to help us as parents uh, to deal with them ourselves, and how to help our children also. Um, uh, to, to understand them, to process these things. And uh, so I'd like to, to dig into those. You know, most recently, the, the shooting in the church in Texas, what, when did you first learn about that, and how did you, how did you respond? Well, you know, actually, with, with this uh, last shooting, I, I happened uh, that day to kind of be out and about all day. You know, you mentioned how connected we are, and it's, you know, it's almost odd now when you sort of don't hear about something immediately, you know, you you come home at the end of the day and you turn it on and you say, well, what, boy, what did I miss? And uh, again, you know, this is probably not a, a great thing on the whole that we uh, feel the need to know every tragedy that occurs everywhere in the world. I mean, there's some opportunity in that to pray, to help, uh, but, but uh, sometimes uh, we're probably just overloaded uh, with these things. Uh, and, you know, especially when they're kind of out of our realm to, to many times, you know, we have to kind of look at that and, and say, well, perhaps I, I don't need to know all this. But, I, you know, I came home and I, I learned about that. And one thing that I always kind of note on this is that it seems so many times that similar themes come up in these um, shootings, these acts of violence. Um, and so, you know, kind of thought back to, well, uh, what are, what are some of these things that always come up? And, and when we're trying to teach our children, I think one of the things with these, 
uh, acts that are so over-the-top uh, sensational in one way um, is that we can tend to get distracted by the details uh, and become so focused in on wanting to learn every last thing about what happened that we forget with our children uh, that when they come into contact with these stories um, and things like that, that we have an opportunity to teach some of the basics of the faith uh, in in contrast to just trying to soak in all the details. And so, you know, kind of with this shooting, two kind of thoughts um, really kind of popped up in my mind. One was that uh, right away again, as we started hearing more about this shooter, we heard people again saying he was sort of, uh, you know, a man unto himself. He, uh, you know, didn't talk to people where he lived. Um, and so kind of the idea of being isolated came to mind. And then the other thing is whenever we see these acts, uh, everybody wants to talk about so many possible kind of angles. They want to align the, the news with their particular beliefs and causes. And one of the things that often gets left out is to just uh, remind ourselves that unfortunately evil uh, has this as its end, murder and violence, um, and that while we often uh, dabble with evil, <laughs> we ought not, right? Because in these cases, we really see the true face of evil. So kind of those two, two thoughts really kind of centered in on my mind uh, as things that you could take from uh, this, this horrific event, but yet teach our children not just about this event, right? If, we, if we're just trying to explain this event to them, it's a passing thought. But if we can teach them some basic truths, those are things that not only will they be able to think through the event that they might have heard about today, uh, you know, depending on our children and what, what they have access to, whether it's on TV or, uh, you know, a, a, an Internet device or whether it's at school, they can think through the, the topic at hand, but our goal, too, is that, you know, when the next thing happens, whether that's, you know, two weeks, two months, or it might be in their life, some major event that happens 20 years down the road, that they know how to think through these things as, as Christian people. So in isolation, why, why is this an important issue to discuss when we're talking about tragedies like this? Why, why is that perhaps one of the starting points? Yeah, I think, um, you know, again, one of the reasons that I really started thinking about this is just it seems to be such a common thread when you, especially of these events that kind of make the news. You just you hear it over and over again. And so that kind of led me uh, to step back and say, well, what, you know, what does the scripture say about being isolated? Because I think we tend, uh, you know, we've got our little, we like to label people, right, in, in every way in our culture. And so, you know, we label people introverts and extroverts. And, and we can kind of just, and again, obviously there's truth to that, but we can kind of just take that, well, then introverts are meant to be by themselves, and if they kind of have to interact with people, they, they do it. But, you know, those kind of things. And rather to say, right, that the scriptures kind of really show right from the beginning that God uh, created all of us, whether, you know, we get uh, instantly fueled by being with other people or whether sometimes that's an exhausting process for us, that regardless of that, that in the end it's good for us to to be with other people. Our, uh, our children in particular uh, 
are you know more isolated uh, than ever before um, are, I should say maybe young people in general, however you want to define that, but uh, you know it's been said that you know our our young people have you know more ways to communicate instantly with people than ever before and yet they're not really communicating with anyone anything of substance, right? Their, um, you know, texts are short, and their yes-nos, and, you know, there isn't a lot of real interaction um, that gets into the, the real sus- substance of life. Um, and so I think particularly with, with our kids, this is a danger of the culture they've grown up in. I think, um, you know, you go back just two generations uh, the practices of visiting family members, uh, churches gathering together regularly for fellowship meals, things like that. The community was sort of the culture. Um, yeah, you had time on your own, but but that was sort of the culture. Now it's, I think, exactly the opposite, that we're teaching people uh, not to interact with people. Uh, even uh, the the world of virtual reality, which is growing, you know, pretty soon you'll be able to just stay in your room and think you're interacting with people, right, and, and not have done any of that. So I think it's a particular thing that our young people need to be reminded the call to live in community. How is isolation contrary to the design of humans? And, and we'll, we'll take it one step further and look at that at the church as well. Is, is community a part of the design of the church and and how is isolation contrary to is it contrary perhaps to how God designed us or in what he intended for us as people yeah one of the most striking things to me in the uh, Genesis account of of creation um, is right as God's going along saying everything's good everything's good everything's good and there uh, in perfection, God picks out one thing that's not good, right? That man is alone. Um, and uh, no doubt there's some other concerns there of God, uh, you know, obviously how he's going to multiply uh, humanity upon the earth. But this general sense that Adam by himself is not um, a good thing in every way, uh, and so we see right from the beginning that God places people into community, right? He uh, takes the rib and makes Eve so that Adam will have a community, and then he uses their union, right, to bring about children. So then there's the family community. As they look to God in faith, we have a, a church community really, you know, being formed uh, there right away in the church. Um, so I think, you know, rather than saying, you know, does the Bible... Uh, here and there address community. I would say community is the assumption of the Bible at all places. And when you get into talking about the church, I'm uh, this week. Uh, those that use the three-year lectionary, our text for this coming Sunday is is the Ten Virgins. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, you you could have told that story uh, with two people, right? One virgin who's ready, one virgin who's not. Why ten, right? Well, I think, again, there's that sense of community, right? That those waiting on God in the church are not just, it's not just one person with their lamp. It's five people with their lamp. Uh, And everything about the church, to me, uh, leads to community, right? Baptism, 
uh, is something that can almost seem like it's an individual thing because it happens one at a time, but we become part of the body of Christ immediately with that. We become part of that family. Uh, communion, right? Well, again, sometimes when we're at communion, uh, we can get kind of so enthralled in the, the, the experience of receiving our Lord's body and blood that we kind of forget that there are people there uh, on either side of us, uh, but we ought not. So I think, you know, almost everything about the Church and even just creation in general assumes community uh, rather than isolation. Any other examples of Scripture that teach this connectedness to our neighbor? Yeah, I mean, I think all over the place. I mean, obviously, uh, just something like the, uh, the, the Good Samaritan uh, story, right, reminds us um, of our connection to our neighbor, even our neighbor that we don't uh, know well, right? That, I mean, there's a sense in which when the, the Good Samaritan sees this man, uh, he enters into a, a very small community with him where he's helping uh, his neighbor. Even, you know, the, the, the two great commandments, right? Love God and then love neighbor. You, you can't really love neighbor uh, without uh, entering into a, a communal-type relationship um, obviously, in the early church, we see this total community formed, right, where they're sharing literally everything they have, uh, their life together, their, their uh, you know, goods, their finances. Um, and, and while that's not, you know, a requirement, obviously, of the church, it does show, again, that how naturally community comes out uh, in the Scriptures, that when God's people are living according to His ways, they're drawn together, not apart. So then, what are the dangers of uh, of isolation and and avoiding, uh, or or in a way trying to create an artificial um, little world of our own, our own little cosmos, uh, void of other humans, and and avoiding interaction with other people? Yeah. Well, I think I mean there's there's all sorts of things here. I've been teaching. Um, one of our Bible studies, uh, the the book of Second Peter, we've been in, and uh, last night we were just talking about false teaching in the church. And one of the things that uh, it mentions in there is that false teachers often, um, you know, kind of remove themselves from any sort of authority at all. They like to go off by themselves and have their own ways. And I think um, that's true in general, right? That when we get off by ourselves. Uh, we tend to get so curved in on ourselves, which you know Martin Luther always talked about that as sort of the essence of sin, right? When we when we curve in on ourselves, we're selfish. Uh, we are uh, led into our own thoughts and our own opinions rather than being uh, looking outward to God's word. And so I think when we get isolated, we turn in. And one of the just practical things is that we all have errant thoughts in our minds, right? Our, our thoughts are certainly not always pure and holy. And when we're in community, when those thoughts, especially if they would start to manifest themselves as words or deeds, um, community helps us to sort of be reined in, to come to one brother uh, or sister and, uh, you know, to use another biblical phrase, to sharpen them, right? To say, no, this, this thought that you're going off on it is not consistent with Scripture as a whole. And I think, you know, when we get so by ourselves, it's easy to let an errant thought or an impure thought 
just run wild. Um, uh, certainly if we're away from the community of the church, right, we're away from God's uh, forgiving ways, his uh, saving ways, his healing ways, uh, but even just in general, right, being alone tends to let us run wild with thoughts that otherwise uh, someone might say to us early on, what did you just say, right? You know, what's, uh, what's going through your mind here? Are there times when it's helpful or even necessary to be alone? Uh, I think certainly there are. Um, it, Jesus himself, right, went off alone when he was uh, here on the earth. Now, typically, the times when he went off alone, uh, it was for prayer, and I think that's uh, a good reason for us, too, to be alone while we certainly gather for prayer as community, and we gather uh, hopefully in our homes for for prayer. Um, the Bible, right, does also have the, the go into your closet, right, go into the kind of a space set aside for prayer and, and pray by yourself. And again, Jesus, you know, withdrawing shows us that this is a, a holy act. I think we might want to say that when we're alone, um, and this is just kind of a general principle. We want to uh, think of our time alone as sort of times of, of rest and recharging in order that we might uh, go forward and serve God and our neighbor again. And when it becomes a problem is when instead our time alone is just purely selfish for the sake of our own desires, for the, maybe the indulgence of our uh, the things that we like to do again. I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not saying you can't, uh, you know, do something you enjoy alone, uh, but I think it's a good way to kind of test where it is, is is to say, right, does this, even if it's something I enjoy, right, if it, you know, up, up here, uh, everybody's out in their, their deer stands, and I've, I've noticed that some hunters, right, love to go in groups, and some love to be completely alone. They kind of relish that time to uh, sit alone in the tree stand, um, you know, and again, n- nothing wrong with that in general, but if we get to the point where um, we don't see that as something of a of a recharging that then enables us to go back into community and we kind of just go more and more into our own desires, it can become, you know, a, a sinful indulgence rather than a, a blessed uh, time of renewal and rest. So let's let's dig in deeper then to those those benefits of living in community. What are the the blessings of being in community? Whether it's uh, being in a family, uh, you know, a household and a family, or being in a congregation or in a neighborhood. What are those blessings and those benefits of living in community? Yeah, well, uh, mind just uh, direct our attention for a second to, to Hebrews ten twenty four and twenty five that say, you know, let us uh, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, just in that verse, we have several things that happen when we come together. Right, we we stir one another up to love and good works. Uh, oh, how we wish, right, that uh, we would always just be drawn to love and good works. Uh, naturally, the first thing that we're drawn out of bed, right, uh, that that's what we're directed to. 
but it helps to be, again, in a Christian community. Um, I, I think of how many times in a church, right, it's one person that sees a need initially, right, of some way to serve a community, or it might be within the church itself. Uh, it's not that everybody sees that need, but then once the need is exposed, right, uh, the whole community, or at least a, a part of it, right, will come together to meet that need. And so I think that's the kind of thing that the author of, of Hebrews is uh, writing about here, that that ends up stirring us up to good works that we might otherwise not really even see the need for. Uh, and then just the encouragement of one another. I mean, uh, always, but in, in our world, right, how needed is uh, our words of encouragement? Uh, we we need those so much, and especially when we're talking here about Christian encouragement, not just hey, keep going, you're doing a, a good job, you know, put a, uh, you know, uh, an affirming thought in someone's mind, although that can be <laughs> helpful also, but true encouragement to, to remain steadfast, to persevere in hope, uh, to look to Christ for your comfort, for forgiveness, for peace, for joy. Uh, all of those encouragements are, are something that, that we need. Um, and I think, you know, uh, just the other thing I, I guess I'd mentioned kind of is that whole idea of bearing one another's burdens that the, the scriptures talk about. Uh, sadly, a lot of times, right, when people go through uh, personal tragedies or, or larger tragedies, but that affect them at a personal level, they tend to isolate one another, and, or isolate themselves, I should say. And when they do that, they tend to bear the whole burden of that thing upon themselves. Uh, and God tells us, right, that one of the reasons he's given us uh, both family and church family is that we can bear those loads together in those in those dark times uh, and remind one another also then to cast those burdens to Christ who cares for us. Do you think structure or order might be a, a benefit or a blessing that uh, God provides in community or relationships I think without without question it is, and I think it is one of the great ills of our of our day is how we've cast aside the orders that uh, God, the, or maybe I should just say the order singular that God has given to this world um, that is meant to provide things like peace and stability and joy, uh, and when we're drawn into community. Um, you can try to sort of have community without any order, but that usually devolves pretty quickly, right? We, uh, if you have a group where everyone thinks they are uh, the leader, right, uh, it, it can become pretty, you know, it's the old too many cooks in the kitchen kind of idea uh, there. You, you can get to sense where there's just true anarchy that reigns, um, and when you say, okay, now we have a family, right? This is a community. Well, there's order here given by God, right? Order between husband and wife, order between parents and children, that God has told us how to interact with one another, um, you know, direct people, uh, if they're not familiar with it, to the, the table of duties section of, of Martin Luther's small catechism, where a lot of these orders are really uh, laid out for us, and again, for our good, we, the Satan always wants to tempt us to think that God's order, his commands are given for keeping us away from things or, or keeping things 
that we would like to do out of our life. Uh, but as we, as we grow in our understanding of, of God and His ways and of His Word, we learn that these orders are good in every sense. Good because God has called them good, but good in, in very real practical ways. And, uh, you know, as you're talking about there, order is certainly one of those things. When we live in those orders, we find peace and joy and stability. And again, right, when we're talking about all this violence and evil, uh, stability in order is, is a welcome relief. I think as you were talking about the world in which we live regarding order, um, uh, uh, that to every order there is, uh, to every rule or order or structure, there is an exception. And because of exceptions in our world, uh, particularly in our postmodern world, uh, when there's an exception, we, we want to change the rule or the order so that those who experience the exception don't feel ostracized or feel burdened. Uh, we, we want to change the rule or even eliminate the rule or the order altogether. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, one of the reasons we're putting out resources like this kind of goes right along with that theory is that uh, we tend to think that in the Church um, there were a lot of things that changed uh, in regards to children's education at the time um, when family structures were really breaking down uh, in our our country, and again, don't get me wrong that there was some perfect time of perfect families, uh, but we certainly saw, uh, you know, in in uh, you know the seventies, uh, late sixties, and and really up till today, a lot of breakup of kind of the traditional family structure. The church rightly was concerned about young people in the church, and it it came up with different things in order to try to give those children knowledge of the Lord, even when. There was not a, a family structure that lent itself to instruction in the home. Um, so that was the exception, right? Uh, even if it was, a, unfortunately, a large number of exception. But what we often did, I think, in the end, sadly, is we drew away uh, instructing our children in the faith, uh, that being given to parents. We kind of lost that idea, and we started to believe that the Church... Uh, should be the one that does all the instruction of our young people. We went away from uh, the rule, which is parents instruct your children, which we see in you know the book of Deuteronomy and all throughout the scriptures, that that's kind of the chief way that work is to be done. And then the church and the pastor help out with that, aid it, supplement it. But we kind of switched uh, the rule. Uh, and what we're trying to do with some of our resources is to help say, Hey guys, this is this is your God-given responsibility as parents to teach, uh, and we want to help you be able to do that um, to to give you some resources that make that job uh, a little bit easier. We hope uh, and and fruitful as as well. But I hope that's you know one example of kind of what what you're talking about there. There still is going to be the exception, right? And the church still needs to look out for children who do not have parents teaching them the faith. But do we take that job away from parents on the whole, because there are some that will not get it, and we believe <laughs> strongly that the answer is no. And thus, if, if our vocation as parents is to teach, how do we teach at home regarding the issue of evil 
in this world. Talking with Pastor Philip Hoppe of Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson and St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota, also co-founder of livingplanted.com. Stick around for more as we talk about teaching in the home, particularly uh, evil in this world. You're listening to Faith and Family. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu Faith and Family is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. Worldwide KFUO salutes our day sponsor on this Wednesday, November 8th, 2017. Today's day sponsor is Carolyn Haddon. Today's day sponsor has made a contribution to Worldwide KFUO in loving memory of her father, William Mashmeyer, on his birthday today. Once again, we say thank you to Carolyn Haddon of Jacksonville, Illinois. Today's Worldwide KFUO Day Sponsor. Hi, this is Bart Day, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. On September 1 of this year, I started in my new position at LCEF, completely humbled by the call to serve. LCEF has faithfully served the church for the last 39 years, and the work of providing funds and services for the sharing of the gospel of Christ, well, that work will extend long into the future. Together, our investors and borrowers look forward to a bold future of serving you and the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit us at lcef.org to learn more. Rally Day for Worldwide KFUO is Thursday, November 9th. It's your chance to become a first-time day sponsor and support the worldwide ministry of KFUO. You'll hear about the benefits of becoming a day sponsor in the remaining days of 2017 and into 2018, as well as other giving opportunities. Listen on the Worldwide KFUO app, on your smartphones and tablets and pads, on AM850 in St. Louis, and online at KFUO.org. However you listen, listen on Rally Day Thursday, November 9th. How do you talk about tragedy at home with your children? How do you deal with it yourself? Talking with Pastor Philip Hoppe of Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson and St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota, co-founder of livingplanted.com, talking about tragedy and evil. How do we discuss that with children? Pastor Hoppe, what is our relationship with evil? It seems that we humans have this this love-hate relationship with evil, in a sense. Yeah, absolutely, right? We all, uh, when there's a, a tragedy like this, uh, we all decry evil. We we say, you know, how how horrific, how awful. And yet, sadly, on a, on a day-to-day basis, we tend 
uh, not to think evil is that dangerous of a thing. Uh, and in fact, you know, then we, we become comfortable uh, with evil, and, and even, you know, uh, when we're not uh, abiding uh, with Christ as we ought, we can come to re- rejoice in evil, right? The things that God calls evil, we can uh, find fun or uh, bring us some sort of, of pleasure. Um, so evil, unfortunately, our relationship with evil is as close as our old flesh, right? Our, uh, you know, when, when Jesus talks about the things that flow out of the sinful heart, uh, all those things are evil things. And so, uh, sadly, uh, we're, we're very close to evil. And I think when we have one of these tragedies, one of the things that we uh, can do is to lead our children and the others, you know, in our home to understand that this is the real face of evil, that evil is not child's play. It's not fun in the end, right? That this is really what, when we think of evil, we should say evil leads to death, violence, destruction, uh, all of those kind of things. How so? How does evil lead to death, violence, destruction? Well, you know, you can, uh, again, start right in Genesis, right, uh, uh, with with Cain and Abel, and how quickly a jealous thought uh, or a uh, just a, a sort of uh, disappointment with, with how someone reacts to us how quickly that can lead into anger, uh, and then that anger can lead into murder. Now, we often like to think, oh, that chain of events will never happen with me. Uh, but I think, you know, again, this is a, um, really a, a tactic of the devil, right, to get us to think we could never fall uh, makes it much more likely that, that we will fall. Um, I think it was um, a, a judge um, uh, named John Bradford. Uh, probably most people have heard this story at, at some time, but that sort of he was looking out his window at a, at a bunch of uh, prisoners um, that were walking to be executed. And, and as he looked over them, uh, he said, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. Uh, and his his point there was that, he, you know, here he was the judge. Here he had sentenced these men to execution. But if he had let his evil thoughts, his evil desires run wild, if he did not have the grace of God to forgive and also to have the Spirit of God to help him overcome those things, well, then he could have been in the line below. <laughs> and if one of the other men perhaps had dwelt in the grace of God, they might have been the judge. And I think. Uh, we we like to separate ourselves. I think when you see this right away in the news when one of these tragedy tragedies happen, we want to identify all the ways that this man was different from your normal human. Right? <laughs> he he had this problem. He did this. And again, not that you you shouldn't look at any of that. That might be helpful, especially for law enforcement and their vocation of trying to you know look for these things earlier. But I think in one way what we're doing there is we're trying to convince ourselves that this person is so uniquely evil that that's why they did these things. 
And rather, I think it would be better for us to recognize that the presence of evil in all of our lives, uh, while at one point it might not be to the level of, of, of murderous action, uh, but that it's all connected, right? That that's what evil leads to, and then that should give us pause. Um, I think it was, you know, uh, Barney Fife back in the day, let me really doubt, date myself here, <laughs> who said, you know, nip it in the bud. And, and there's, there's a lot of that that comes into uh, how we deal with evil uh, as well, right? That if we can recognize it in, in its infancy and confess it to Christ mm-hmm. and be forgiven of it, uh, far better than to let evil grow until it leads to, you know, something like we might see on the news. We often don't want, uh, we, we want to shield our loved one, especially children, from evil. And we'll go to great lengths even to do that at times, uh, to, to shield them from exposure to evil or, or seeing or, or even uh, witnessing evil or seeing uh, evil on, on TV and, and social media. Uh, why? Why do we want to shield them from evil or even learning of evil? Yeah, I think this is, you know, this is something I've struggled with a lot just, you know, as a parent myself. Um, I think there's some legitimate good discussion, right, between Christian parents and and that there might be some level of disagreement about how much of this stuff you want to expose your children to. Uh, Sadly, um, it's almost impossible to shield your children from all of it. Now, you know, someone might be listening to me right now and says, well, you know, no, Pastor Hoppy, right? I don't let my kids have cell phones. We don't have a TV in the house, right? Uh, so I, my kids only see what I want. And if, if you know, you're able to, to pull that off, good for you, but you probably also need to make sure they don't go outside and play with kids in the neighborhood, right? <laughs> or if they're in a, in a school setting, Uh, outside of the home. Uh, There's another whole area where they're going to be exposed to this. But I think the real reason that we typically don't expose our children to evil is that we have that protective nature as parents that wants to keep evil away from our children. That's, That's good and holy. But at the same time, one of the things that we do with our children, too, is we introduce them to things that could be dangerous, right? So we talk to them about the danger of playing in the street. We talk to them about, you know, the danger of uh, placing their hand on a, a hot object or a sharp object. And to some extent, and again, I leave it up to each parent exactly how you do that with exposing people, but I do think we need to expose our children at least to the point uh, where they understand that evil exists in the world, but they're not, um, uh, you know, ignorant of that fact. Um, the other thing I think we do is we don't want our kids to be afraid, uh, and so we don't uh, expose them to evil. Uh, I, I think there's some good to that, but I think in general as Christian people, the, the way we get our children not to be so afraid is not to deny the presence of evil in the world, because they're going to meet it regardless, but instead to teach them to trust Christ. So how do we speak of evil? How do we talk about evil, especially in our pluralistic and politically correct world where uh, it, things that, uh, that, that nature or God's word uh, depict are call evil? Uh, we can't call it evil 
in in public conversation without being demonized ourselves. Right. And I think that's always part of the devil's plan, right, is to uh, mask evil. Um, And this is total speculation. I want to make that clear. But I sometimes wonder almost if when one of these shootings happens or something, that the devil uh, doesn't almost cringe himself, not not for the outpouring of evil, he's fine with that, but that evil gets exposed as evil, you know, that um, I think in, in other cultures the devil has much more used a tactic of trying to make everyone afraid of evil, right? Uh, even in Luther's day it seems that uh, there was a lot of, of that kind of idea where people were just literally terrified uh, of uh, the, the idea of evil in the world, of the evil one, things like that. seems to me that in our modern world he's kind of flipped his tactic, right, and doesn't want anyone to know that he's there or evil is there. And I, like I said, I almost wonder sometimes if, if when these things happen, he almost says, oh, no, that was too far, right? They're going to see evil for what it is. And I think that's why it's equally important that when we see it, we call it, right? We call it for what it is. Um, and uh, again, you know, who knows? Maybe there's sometimes in our world where when we call it evil, we're going to have to also define what evil is. Sometimes maybe our world doesn't even understand that, that term, or at least especially understand it in relationship to God. So I think it's, it's good to remember that it's a word, a word that's not used in our culture a lot, that we can't just throw it out and expect everyone to, to be able to swallow it easily. But I think it's that time where we put the word back out there, we fill it with the meaning, and we connect it to what, what we see. So what temptations do we face when evil happens in our lives, uh, when uh, evil happens even elsewhere in the world, not only remotely affects us? Do we face temptations when we face evil or hear of evil? I tend to think there's two temptations that are prime when evil hits us. One is that we ignore it, right, that we don't think of it as evil, or that we become so uh, desensitized to evil that we, for a moment, see evil and then forget. You know, as I mentioned with this last shooting, um, then the next Monday, or on this, you know, last Monday morning, I turned on the news when I got up, and I was actually quite taken aback by the fact that most of the news I was watching was your sort of normal political back and forth, you know, what this candidate was doing and what was in this book. And I I looked over at my wife and I said, why are they not talking about the shooting, right? Mm. Um, And, uh, you know, so I think that's one temptation is to ignore it, um, that, that we just don't don't take evil seriously uh, enough. The flip side is that we despair over evil, that we think evil so great and grand that it has no match, right? And we, we just sort of sit around and say, well, gosh, evil's won the day, and we better just sort of, um, you know, uh, you know, one of the things we always do, and, and again, there's there's wisdom in this, right, to try to figure out, well, how could I protect myself if I was in this situation. But but one of the things that can come along with that is just this feeling that in the end evil is too grand to defeat. And so, you know, we you just have to hope it doesn't happen, but it could and it would. And again, we as Christian people 
do not despair at evil, because we know that evil is defeated. We know that Jesus has went to the cross, and in so doing is uh, fulfilled the promise of Genesis 3, that he would come and crush the head of Satan. Uh, and uh, so we know that evil in the end is defeated, right? And we also know that God, um, you know, in our time as well, thwarts evil, um, uh, you know, and things like that as well. So, so I think those are the two real temptations, either to think it's nothing that deserves our attention or to think it's the only thing that deserves our attention, whereas the truth is to recognize its presence, but more so look to uh, the defeater of evil and sin and death, uh, look to Jesus and, and find our comfort there, uh, and, uh, and look, look all the more towards the last day when, without any question, evil will be shown as defeated and God will be shown as victor. Let's dig into that a little bit more of how Jesus dealt with evil. How how did, how does Jesus deal with evil? And what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our children? And how do we talk to them about that? Yeah, I think especially with our, our kids, um, we tend to want to bring all the nuance that we as adults think about these issues and I think sometimes that's detrimental to our kids. Our kids get, I mean, if you look at the, the books they read, the movies they read, I think one way is to be very simple again and to tell the story, the true story of good and evil in the world and to simply tell them, right, Jesus has defeated evil. And again, on the last day, we will all see that clearly with our own eyes. Um, rather than engaging our children in some long discussion of why does God allow evil and, and stuff like that, uh, again, if they ask that question, let's talk about it, right? Uh, but sometimes I think we, we do a disservice to our children in, in saying, well, here's the 8,000 questions you could ask about this, when all they really want to know is, is that evil I see? Is it winning? Right, mm-hmm. and we can say no. It it's been defeated, uh, right? And it, things are not yet now as they will be, but one day we'll see it see it all uh, defeated. But so it is of of great. You know, what does it mean for us and our children? Um, it is to uh, to to be comforted, uh, to um, have again that hope of the last day, um, and and to just know that the evil that continues to, to spiral out of control in our world, right, as we uh, lead up to the last day, whenever that, that occurs, um, is, is going to be big, it's going to be shocking, and yet it's the, the flailings of one about to be defeated. It's not uh, the growing strength of an army that's going to win, right? It's, it's the one that's defeated and yet takes its last swings uh, before it falls to the ground. What does that mean then for our witness, our public witness? How do we speak about evil? How do we speak uh, to our neighbor about what Jesus has done, how he has dealt with evil in you know, conversation with our neighbor? Um, it, it, it comes up, you know, a, a, a 
great tragedy like this uh, that they were just talking about the shooting at a church or the shooting in Las Vegas or or other uh, tragedies like that. Those come up in conversation with your neighbor. How do you how how does this shape our witness? How do we speak of these things with our neighbor? Well, I think this is where we have, right, a real opportunity. We all struggle as Christians knowing that we should, uh, you know, share the faith, that we should declare the glories of our God among the nations. We often struggle with where's the starting point, right? Do I just, you know, me and my friends, after we've uh, talked about, uh, you know, the football game on Sunday, do I just break into a, a confession of the faith, right? It's, it's hard to find those times. But when culture in general is talking about tragedy and evil, I think it's actually a, you know, a good opportunity for us to be able uh, to talk about the answer to evil. And one of the other things we always have to remember, because I, I know I do this all the time when I'm talking to somebody, is I, I want to sound wise to them, right? I want to convince them in the way that I think they will be convinced. And yet, what the scriptures tell us is, right, to speak loudly and boldly Christ, who is, right, the, the foolishness of God in one sense, right, that, that um, you know, when, when someone sees evil, to say to them, Jesus has defeated evil. We might think, I don't want to speak that, because they're going to say, wait a second, all the people are, are lying dead in those pews, right? Uh, he didn't defeat it, right? And we say, oh, yes, he did, right? And so it's not that we're going to, with wise words, win over our, our neighbors, that they're going to say, oh, what a grand argumentation you have about this. But we tell them the truth, and we particularly tell them the gospel. And the Holy Spirit then does the work of, of creating faith, and maybe we can even say initially, right, creating um, doubt about their own disbelief, right, that, that they say, well, Gosh, I don't, you know, um, almost when we say these things that they think are foolish at first, I tend to think those are the things that stick with them at night, if that makes sense. When they're lying on their bed, uh, they think, Why, how could he possibly believe that? What does that mean, right, that Jesus has defeated evil when we just saw all the ambulances piled up mm. at that church? I, I tend to think that's one mistake we make, and so I think we need to speak um, and that's an, I shouldn't say I think here. I know from the scriptures that we need to speak the gospel about Jesus defeating evil uh, on the cross, right, for us, for our salvation, uh, that that is the, the power of God. The, in the Greek there, the, the dynamos, the dynamite of God, it's the thing that breaks down the barriers uh, and brings forth faith. Other, uh, just about two minutes left, uh, I'd like to point our listeners to uh, these uh, resources we were talking about today and other resources at livingplanted.com and how to use them. What are the intentions of the resources at livingplanted.com? Yeah, one of the, the kind of, uh, you know, I guess tagline we kind of use is, right, living the Christian life at home. And one of the things that we try to do, there's obviously all sorts of resources um, out that people have developed, right? Obviously some better than others. Uh, but many times, again, the resources are designed for uh, maybe church use or youth group use. And again, sometimes those can easily be, you know, transferred into the home. 
But what we try to do is, is exactly the opposite, is we try to design resources that are meant first and foremost for the home. Uh, and then, you know, could somebody find a resource there that's leading a youth group and they want to use one? Well, sure, you know, and we'd be happy if it were used in other places. But it, but we think the kind of unique thing, and, and certainly not we're not the only ones, but what we focus on is making these things that the one teaching the faith in the home can kind of have an easy way to do this, right? It, it's not as if just because there's a tragedy that... Um, the children have heard about that that dad or that mom has that day you know three extra hours to think through all of this right to to prepare it might have been the busiest day they had uh, in a long time too and so everything we try to put up is something you can click on download print out and even if you don't I mean it's always better probably if you can look at it beforehand but one of the things we really try to do is to say, you could literally print this out and read this to your family. Um, and then, you know, on, on these ones that we're talking about today, kind of what we call our good news resources that kind of interact with news stories, uh, but, but bring, bring us back to the gospel of Christ. You know, we have conversation kind of questions at the end. So again, literally, you could read through this. Uh, then at the end you start asking these questions, and by the time you've read through the scriptures and uh, some of the the commentary, I guess you would say that's there, um, you're you're much more prepared to be able to discuss those questions. My guest today, Pastor Philip Hoppe, Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota, co-founder of livingplanted.com. Pastor Hoppe, thank you for helping us address the topic of talking of tragedy in the home with children. Always glad to be with you. Coming up in just a little bit, Thy Strong Word on listener-supported Worldwide KFUO. Produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO.